0: Welcome to the Knowing Jesus Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Bachman, a licensed professional counselor. On the show, we explore who the real Jesus is, with his love, with his power, and with his endless pursuit of humanity, with the hope of changing our lives. On today's episode, we'll be reading John chapter 12, verses 20 through 36. Now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and said of him, Sir, we want to see Jesus. Philip relayed this appeal to Andrew, and both of them went and told Jesus. But Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life will lose it. But whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be as well. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No, it is for this purpose that I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. The crowd standing there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. In response, Jesus said, this voice was not for my benefit, but yours. Now judgment is upon this world. Now the prince of this world will be cast out. And I, when I am lifted up from earth, will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate the kind of death he was going to die. The crowd replied, We have heard from the law that the Christ will remain forever, so how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? Then Jesus told them, For a little while longer the light will be among you. Walk while you have light, so that darkness will not overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, so that you may become sons of light. After Jesus had spoken these things, he went away and was hidden from them. Diving in today uh, to the unpacking part, uh, we see something cr- really quick uh, in this passage. Verse 20, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. Um, I don't have all the cultural understanding here, but it's probably pretty unusual that Greeks would be going to a Jewish feast to be worshiping God. That wasn't super common, but that was God's plan from the beginning. When we see Old Testament, the Jewish people were supposed to be a light to the nations. And if we read the story, we see that they failed so often at at that as we to this day do. Um, And yet, they are still curious about Jesus. They're asking Philip, hey, we got to see this Jesus. We got to get to know him. And it's a strange, uh, bittersweet moment where uh, Jesus's own people are blind to who they have in front of them. But Greeks and Samaritans, all these people who are supposedly unclean, bad, rejected, unchosen, these are the ones that are seeking and hungry for Jesus. And so we have to be aware of if that was the Jesus that people were attracted to then, right? All the these are the people that, you know, on this day we would think would want nothing to do with Jesus. So, this would still be the people back then saying I've had five marriages, like the woman at the well, or I'm a tax collector. And I betray and abuse my own people. Or the Samaritan. I'm the moral and cultural outcast. But even applying to today that people would be saying, I have same-sex attraction. I'm greedy. I'm racist. Or a race that is looked down upon. Someone struggling with gender. Drug users. People sleeping around. Uh, The people that it would be easy for the average church to look at them and say, eh, you don't have a place here. The outcasts, the spiritual and moral outcasts. These are the people that found Jesus so attractive. So he had this amazing way of being truthful, but then also incredibly loving and accepting right? So I think in our world, it's so easy to, and I probably am guilty of this, overemphasizing love and then not having uh, accountability or challenge, or then we could swing to the other extreme and all we have really is, is challenge and say, well, you're supposed to do this and you're not supposed to do this, but we lack the love. And yet Jesus holds the tension perfectly. He's loving and inviting and caring and compassionate but he doesn't also waver in the actual expectations. He understands that sin, if we are honest, destroys us. And that's the sad and confusing, deceptive part of sin. It almost never seems like it will or is destroying us, right? You could be like, well, I'm playing, you know, if you're honest with yourself, I'm playing video games too much. Ah, it's not really affecting me. And then, I've had periods in my life where, well, actually, I'm kind of depressed now because all I'm doing is, is focusing on this. My life has been hijacked by a, uh, a poor or incorrect priority. You could use that as in, in the sense of gossip. It doesn't seem like it's going to hurt anybody, but then it changes who we are, and it changes our relationship with others. You could lust. Oh, I've heard you know tons of people say, well, I'm watching pornography. I'm not hurting anybody. The sad reality is actually you are. Every view is encouraging the makers of the material to continue making them. Um, and it's changing the way your brain is wired. Like literally, we can see that uh, on MRI scans. It changes the wiring in your brain. And it is corrupting how you see yourself, how you see sex, how you see the, the you know, opposite sex. And so, all that to say, just giving some concrete examples, sin at first can seem like it's not hurting us or hurting other people. But the reality is, and this is the humbling factor, God sees it in its full uh, relationship. What does that mean? God can see how sin is hurting us and other people, even if we can't. And so, this is difficult. This requires us to believe that He is a good Father. And if he's saying that something isn't good or something is off limits, even if we can't understand it, we have to walk by faith. Now, <laughs> that's so much easier said than done. I'm not saying, oh my gosh, yeah, if God says something, just just believe it. It's difficult, right? And there's many times in my life I've had to say, God, I don't even understand why X, Y, or Z is off limits or wrong or bad. I can't see it. And then I'm thankful For the Holy Spirit's role in my life to say, Brian, even if you don't see it, do you believe that he is a good father? And a good father isn't withholding from you. A good father isn't making rules for the sake of rules. I mean, think of this. I mean, It's a silly example, maybe. But the two-year-old or three-year-old that's told, don't stick your finger in the electric socket, they don't know. Like, they have no, they're like, why, that you're taking, you know, or the stove, or whatever it might be. Might even be playing on the stairs. Like, but I jump around just the floor. What's wrong with jumping on the stairs? And as difficult and as humbling as it might be, we are like that two-year-old. We haven't lived for thousands and millions of years. We don't understand perfect and pure holiness. I'm a human being who dearly loves my wife And can be a complete jerk to her. I break my own value system. How in the world would I think that I have a monopoly or pure and perfect understanding of holiness and sin? I can't even live up to my own value system. And that's all of us. None of us can. So, maybe that's a a long um, distraction. Hopefully it's productive. The idea that as much as it's difficult to believe that if God is saying something's off limits and that is sin, we have to believe him. So suffice to say that Jesus held that tension of love and compassion and dignity, but he didn't hold back. And these Gentiles and these Samaritans and some of the Jews were open and willing to hear that Jesus is calling out of sin. I think it's the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, everyone is guilty of at least one, but if we're honest, dozens of the sins mentioned on the Sermon on the Mount. And these non-believers, these outside the church people, were actually attracted to Jesus providing structure, rules, and accountability to life. And I find that very challenging because I need to maybe do that more, but I think other people might need to be more loving and compassionate more. We need the tension of the two because Jesus was attractive to those outside the church. Because when he's saying that I am a life, yes, he is eternal life. He's also life because he is the sin antidote. If sin is a cancer and death and destruction, we can only start to see True, deep spiritual healing, and ultimately then physical and mental, emotional healing as well, because sin affects every compartment of our lives as human beings. It affects our mind. It affects our body. It affects our emotions and our soul. He is life because he gives great context for what the problem is and the solution. The solution isn't just working harder. The solution isn't some... Uh, Fat that we come up with. The solution is I am in desperate need. I cannot do good, pure, perfect, holy good on my own. I need the power of the Holy Spirit. I need the Father's encouragement and the Father's challenge. I need the Son who showed me what love looks like. He walked among us, He took on. The form of human flesh, he felt our pain in real time, and was rejected by his own. And that that's powerful to me. I'm someone who has often felt hurt, and make rejection. I, I can make rejection like an ultimate thing, if you will. Well, I don't fit in in circles. I don't feel popular enough. I don't. Pe- I feel like people like me enough, and so then I've gotten awfully discouraged. And how amazing that God walked among us and says, Brian, friends, I know what it's like to be hated. I know what it's like to be rejected by the very people that you're supposed to be loved by. Jesus understands. It's so powerful. It's so vulnerable of our God to let himself be affected by us. So then we move only to, I guess, the second or third verse. Sorry, I got on my my soapbox there. But verse 23, Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains only a seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. I'm sure there's a lot of interpretations to this. One of my favorite, although difficult, is the idea of... The death of the self. Now, this is going to be maybe difficult to unpack, right? So, in psychology, there actually is a very valuable realization of the self. Who am I? If I understand how a family system has affected me and maybe defined me, if I have an understanding of codependency and maybe my um, ultimate pressure to be accepted and not to disappoint... Right? That's not the true self. That is something that is affecting the self. If I can understand who I am, what I want, which is very good to define, but then the strange irony is understanding and unpacking that and fully grasping it so that we willingly and knowingly lay it down. What does that mean? So I'm someone who struggled with codependency. I hate to disappoint. Hate it. And will make all kinds of terrible decisions and stress myself out and stress others out because I don't want to disappoint. If I don't understand who I am underneath that, I might think I'm serving and giving to God and to others. But truly, my idol and the thing I'm trying to appease is not my Lord Jesus, but it is the fear of disappointment. So I have to understand what's underneath that. To then be willing to actually give up myself and say, okay, Lord, this is what I would want to do. This is what I would uh, desire and hope for. Uh, so think of this podcast. I love this podcast. I would love for this to be like a, a part-time, full-time job where I still see clients, but get to do this a great deal more. That is a desire of my heart. I can't make it an ultimate thing. I, I shouldn't force it to happen I offer it and let it die. I say, Lord, I want to serve you. But your plans might look vastly different than mine. And, and not only is this, uh, we're, we're letting the, the wheat kernel, as the passage talks about, die. Is it related to dreams, like I just mentioned, podcast? This is also sanctification. If I am living and working out of my own strength... I'm not going to be honoring God the way that I could, or would, if I say, I've got nothing. It's only by the power of Jesus, only by the love of the Father. I have to be willing to let my plans, my vision of myself, my desires... I have to be willing to serve and to give and to sacrifice. I have to be willing to be uncomfortable. To me, that's what this verse is talking about when it says the wheat falls on the ground and dies, but then it bears much fruit. And here's yet another paradox, right? How does something die, but then become more productive? I could see this in my own life. Um, I, you know, I think I mentioned this before. I used to lead Bible studies and... I don't think, now, maybe God in his sweet grace and kindness probably did produce fruit, even though a lot of what I was doing was to find my identity, to have purpose, to feel significant, and to, and to prove I'm a valuable part of God's family. And to me, at least, at least this is how I see it, this podcast is very different. I don't feel like I'm trying to prove anything. Maybe selfishly, I'm even doing this for myself to, to meet with my God and to just invite others into this process but it doesn't feel like striving. And I can only imagine that God would do a great deal more indifferently with something that isn't about the process itself, if that makes sense. It's about being genuine and authentic. It's about just following, serving, seeking. I can think about many other times in my life where if I'm just trying to force something to happen versus Having my hands up and saying, God, only you can move here. Only you can repair this relationship. Only you can help this person. I can't help them. I can't fix them. I can't save them. When we metaphorically die and let the Holy Spirit show His strength and His power, there is so much more fruit. And then verse 25, whoever loves his life will lose it. But whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Let's unpack that. This doesn't mean we're walking around saying, oh my gosh, I can't wait till I die. My life, <laughs> my life is miserable and I just hate it so much. No, that isn't what we're talking about here. It's, I believe it's a metaphorical, right? So it's like, I hate my life in the sense that I am willing to sacrifice, to give, to offer. It to others. So this classic countercultural statement against American culture. In America, we believe in whoever has the most toys wins. Um, we believe in whoever has the most money and, and status and promotions. I mean, just think about conversations, right? If we're not it, Christian and non-Christian, if we're not living sanctified lives, it's all about comparison oh, who has what? Oh my gosh, I'm the director now. There can be celebration in that. I'm not saying there can't be celebration, but it's so easy to focus on the building up of status and wealth, material, who we know, and we are loving our worldly life as opposed to the kingdom. What does that mean? So God's kingdom is about Finding and seeking the lost. God's kingdom is about embracing the basic fundamental truths from the beginning. All human beings are made in the image of God. All human beings have dignity and value that we can't even comprehend. So our lives structured around calling out and seeing the dignity in every human, Christian, non-Christian, christian Whatever sin that we all struggle with, or do we segregate, do we separate, do we classify and say some people are more valuable than others because of their utility, because of what they offer, either us or society. The kingdom is about inviting all people to the feast. The kingdom is about loving every human being through the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit. The kingdom is about restoring the world for the glory of God and for the cherished joy and celebration of his bride that we get to celebrate and see, Ah, man, Jesus, you made this place new and you invited us all beggars into the kingdom of heaven. So that verse 25, whoever loves his life will lose it. If we are obsessed with playing the game that America and the world is trying to sell us, we lose our life. We miss out on the light. We are not aligned with the vision of Jesus and our Father's kingdom. But if we hate this false life, this cultural mandate that everything is about me and how much money I make and how comfortable my life is, I will lose that life. But if I'm open to this discomfort, to the challenging wrestling of the Father and the Spirit's sanctification, I will keep my life, this life, and eternally. He goes on right after, you know, 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am. Well, where's Jesus? Oh, he's in the most uncomfortable places in society. He's in the bad neighborhoods. He's meeting with the people that everyone's whispering about. My like, gosh, that's convicting right here, right right now. I, I It would be so difficult for me. And I, I am praying both in this moment in my heart and need to pray more often. Lord, help me not care what people think. Good gosh, man. Some, I mean, people could have been whispering about me. Oh, there's Brian. He's always depressed. Oh, there's Brian. He's got an anger problem. But Jesus pursued me. And others pursued me. We can't worry. I can't worry about what other people think about me. Jesus is meeting with the people that will destroy our reputation. And do we care more about our reputation and what the quote-unquote Christians and the quote-unquote spiritual think about us? Or do we care about what the Father is doing and is saying? Oh, that's challenging. And also beautiful. Uh, Moving on to verse 27. Well, actually, no, I missed it. If anyone serves me the Father... Father. The back to verse 26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me and where I am my servant will be as well. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Again, I think this is where the tension is great, right? I've heard so many you know, messages about just serve, just give. It's about, you know, I've heard people say that you know the Christian life is just miserable. Man, that's that's attractive. Not that we make the gospel attractive falsely, but that is falsely unattractive. Because as we are serving, as we are doing the difficult thing, the Father will honor him. Now, none of us are probably going to get the experience that Stephen got as he was preaching the gospel to his people and was stoned to death. He was honoring his father. He did the hard things. And Jesus stood up. Stephen gets to see into heaven that Jesus stands for him, Stephen being stoned to death although that's not something many of us will probably see god gives us a glimpse into the spiritual that is what our god does he says you are honoring me i honor you as well and that is incredible and for another day but we have to understand the power and the meaning of the sovereign holy god that he stands no king stands for people but King Jesus does. Verse 27, My soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, this is why I came. Jesus, actually, I I didn't realize this. I knew in Gethsemane, Jesus says multiple times about how difficult the process is for his heart. I didn't realize that there's this premonition in, in, in chapter 12. My soul is troubled. He's thinking about the cross. It's painful, it's weighty, it's difficult. And he submits. Instead of saying, Father, save me from this hour, he says, this is why I have come. Father, glorify your name. And then I I forgot that, I knew that at at the baptism of Jesus, the Father speaks from heaven. But here, the Father speaks yet again from heaven. The Father says, I have glorified your name, Jesus, and I will glorify it again. Moving down to verse 34, the crowd is saying, well, hey, the Christ, he's supposed to remain forever. How can you be the Christ if you're going to die? They didn't understand that Christ had a first mission before remaining forever, that he had to rescue us. I think this is also very challenging that Jesus is so focused on his mission I just wonder what it would be like if if all of us Christians, you know, this is a side point, this is why community is so important. We need each other to cheer each other on, to encourage one another, to keep each other accountable, and to love one another. That, like Jesus, we should have a focused mission. And I'm guilty of this. I mean, I've spent so much time just being like, I want to be comfortable. I want our house to look a certain way. I don't want to have to worry about money Um, probably over-preparation for our baby. Um, We just want everything to be neat and in order, and how often I might be missing the mission of God because I'm just focused on all the things I'm worried about because I'm an anxious person. And here Jesus is focused on his mission. He's saying, I've come for this purpose. I'm here to die. And I just wonder how many of us Christians need that community to encourage us to say I'm struggling to be just obsessed with all the messages and the fake um, goals if you will that the world places on our shoulders and I need to be more focused thinking you know, you're at work and all you're doing and I'm 100% guilty of this you're at work and you're just thinking about all the tasks you need to get done instead of all the people that you are interacting with and I'm someone who struggles to be project over people. So when I have worked in in um, uh, companies where it is more task-oriented as, as opposed to a counselor where my ta- my tasks are people, I would always just focus on getting the tasks done. And people were seen as an inconvenience and an, an annoyance. Like, you're not going fast enough. You're too slow. Get out of my way. I need to get my work done. And that is sin. Because as much as we should, yes, be, you know, as Hard working. it's more important that we're loving people well while we are working. And we need each other to remind ourselves of why we're here. Well, y'all, it's been a pleasure as usual. Uh, feel free to share comments, things you want to hear about, um, anything. And I look forward to connecting with you again soon.